Amen. Good morning, church. There is indeed perfect peace and rest when we're stayed upon Jehovah. It's something that the verse that we've been memorizing together this month reminds us of. And believe it or not, this is the last week in September already. It's kind of crazy, but it's here. And we want to say our verse today together without looking at our bookmarks or without looking at any helps uh, or things that you might have been using this month. So let's say it. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. Wonderful. Thank you. This is uh, our continuation today of what we have been studying over the last two weeks. We have been looking, as we continue our study in John chapter 10, at the characteristics of our Good Shepherd. And this is week three of that, and we've been looking at this passage in light of answering these five questions that are on the screen before you. What kind of leader or shepherd is Jesus? As our shepherd, what does Jesus do? How do we as his sheep respond to him? And then in this passage as well, we looked at who are the thieves and what do the thieves do? And you know, it's interesting, yesterday, uh, maybe many of you in this room had your TVs on for just a moment and maybe even caught a glimpse of a college football game. As you know, Saturdays in this country are very big in college football. A lot of people like to tune in and watch different schools and universities, and you see these coaches on the sideline. And one of the defining characteristics of a great coach is his ability to unite a diverse group of individuals, many of whom may have never met before, who are coming from all different parts of the country to come to this one college. And one of the defining characteristics of a great coach is he can take all of these unique and diverse individuals and he can unite them around one common goal and one common purpose. And they move forward together. The most successful teams are led by coaches that are able to do just that. But you know, not every team has a good coach. And not every shepherd that the nation of Israel had was a good shepherd. Indeed, there were many examples of bad shepherds that had come before Jesus. Listen to this account in the book of Jeremiah chapter 23. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock. You've driven them away. You have not attended to them. There is, however, in the passage we have been studying the last few weeks, an example of a good shepherd. An example of a shepherd who leads his people exactly how the Lord intends for him to lead. Jeremiah 23 continues, listen to the promise. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them. Out of all the countries where I have driven them, I'm gathering them, bringing them back to their fold. They shall be fruitful and multiply. 
I will set shepherds over them who care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved, Israel will dwell securely, and this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. So here we are in John chapter 10. The Lord is our righteousness, standing before his flock, leading them as a good shepherd. And what would be the defining characteristics of his leadership, of Jesus' leadership? How was Jesus' leadership different from all of the other shepherds who came before? And how do his sheep respond? to that very leadership these are the questions we are desiring to explore today as we come to his word together and unpack this morning and as we prepare let's take some time and pray father god this is such a small window of time that we have on Sunday mornings, to gather together as a community of believers that you have called for a purpose. Lord, there's so many distractions that go on in the day-to-day of our week that take our attention away from your word, that take our attention away from one another, that send us in many different directions. And sometimes we admit this morning, Father, that we feel scattered. I feel scattered. The busyness of life gets a hold of us. And so, Lord, it's our prayer this morning that as we open your word, that you would do a great work. I was reminded early this morning of the power of your word, the testimony of the life of Ezra. Standing before the people of Israel, reading your law. And through your word... And the power of your word, they were rejoicing. Lord, I repent of anything that causes any kind of distraction or hindrance in the going forth of your word this morning. And Father, it's my prayer that at this time we would lay aside all the things in this world that have distracted us throughout the course of the week, that we would simply take them and place them aside so that our hearts and our minds might be fully focused on the power of your word and the work of your spirit. Because Lord, we know that even now you intend to work, you intend to move as we corporately come together and study your word. You intend for us to take the truth and to use it in our lives, applying it to the people that you've placed in our pathways. Lord, help us to grow. Help us to leave here changed. Change our hearts. Change our minds. Father, you do the work and help us to give you the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John chapter 10, verses 14 to 21. 
John chapter 10, 14 to 21. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he is a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Jesus begins the passage this morning by restating what he had already iterated in verse 11. I am the good shepherd. It is a statement that's Regarding his steadfast presence in our lives, the hireling would flee. Remember last week we looked at the traits of the hireling. The hireling ran because truly he cared nothing for the sheep. But Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus knows us intimately. It's a truth that was confirmed in verse 3. He calls his own sheep by name. Both Jesus' desire to glorify the Father and His love for us, His sheep, motivates Him to stay. Through our storms, through our difficult seasons in life, friends, He is there. He is steadfast. It is Jesus who holds us. It is He who keeps us, sustains us, making a way for us. As he goes before us yesterday, Dave alluded to uh, the opportunity for a number of men in our church to gather together and have fellowship, enjoying a breakfast together and being challenged through the word. And one of the things that we were challenged on is communicating consistently our great need for Jesus. We need Jesus There are times in life when we walk through the wilderness, when we feel alone, when we feel abandoned, when we even might question whether the promises of God are true. Perhaps some of us here even wrestle with seasons of doubt. These feelings are not at all uncommon. Many of the same feelings, the same emotions, the same thoughts clouded the mind of the Israelites as they wandered in the wilderness waiting to enter the promised land. But God reminded them, of this, Deuteronomy chapter 31, 6. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread in them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you nor forsake you. One of the defining characteristics, friends, of our good shepherd is that he is with us. Presence is perhaps one of the most overlooked characteristics of great leadership be present 
be with the people the Lord has placed in your pathway in your life. I was just lamenting with one of the brothers who came in this morning how I feel like sometimes the things of this world more often pull us away from one another than bring us together. The defining characteristic, one of the defining characteristics of the Good Shepherd is that He is present with His sheep. And as he was reminding them and encouraging them, he was raising up leaders, even like Joshua, as good shepherds to remind them over and over again that God was with his people. Be strong. Be courageous, church. God is with us. He's with us. Many years later, the affirmation of God's presence with his people was found in the person of Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the reality of God with us. He is good because He is present in our circumstances. The dark realities of this world, the difficult seasons of life, they do not scare Jesus away or cause Him to flee. When we walk through valleys, when we deal with death, when we're struggling in our own personal lives, wrestling with whatever circumstances, may be present in our lives. Jesus is not like a hireling who flees. That is not the nature of His leadership. He stands in the presence of wolves, lions, bears, those who would seek to scatter and snatch the flock. And friends, He fights for us. He is with us. As Jesus was with God in the beginning and witnessed His Father among the people, so too does He perfectly imitate and execute those exact same behaviors. We've seen this before many times. John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. Emmanuel, God with us. Do we trust that today, church? Is that a truth that as a flock we are truly uniting around and united around? Do we believe and affirm what we find at the end of the Great Commission? And behold, I am with you always to the end of this age. Jesus says in in John 10 here, I know my own, and my own know me. Friends, as we affirm this truth about our good shepherd, we are corporately affirming our knowledge of him. He is true. He is with us. Those who claim the name of Jesus, they claim both the truth of his person and the veracity of his work. They go together cannot truly claim one without the other. So two of the defining characteristics of Jesus' leadership is that He is present with the flock and that He knows the flock. And friends, one of the defining characteristics of whether or not we are truly part of His flock is if we're able to affirm and acknowledge His person and his work. Jesus says in verse 3, the sheep hear his voice, 
In verse 4, he says, the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. In the moments of discouragement, in the moments of doubt, in the anxious times of our life, when we feel scattered, I don't know about you, there's been times this week I've felt scattered. Have any of you felt scattered throughout the course of this week? Felt like, how can I make myself be in two different places at once? I can't do it, so you never feel like you're fully anywhere running all over the place, feeling scattered. There's all these unknowns in our lives. By the way, pray for Haiti, friends. The unknowns, political unrest, an activist politician the other day accidentally shot two people in country. And the unrest continues to grow and grow. Pray. There's so many unknowns. There's so many things in this life that could be scary, could scatter us. Are we listening to the still small voice that's saying, I am here. I am here. I am with you in this. I'm with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. I am with you always. Trust in my goodness. Lean into my faithfulness. My mercies are new every morning. I will carry you. I will hold you. I'm holding all things together. Working all things together for good and for His glory. I am good. I am your good shepherd. These are the truths that the Lord is speaking to us daily through His Word. We encounter Him in these difficult times and we find Him to be true over and over and over again. The sheep know this, friends. The sheep hear His voice. They live courageously. And their lives testify to this. Let God be true and every man a liar at the beginning of verse 15 in john 10 here jesus grounds the truth of this knowledge in the father's knowledge of jesus and his perfect knowledge of the father look at verse 15 the beginning just as the father knows me and i know the father church the way that we relate to god is through our relationship with jesus that's the only way The only way we can relate to God is through our relationship with Jesus. The knowledge of His voice, Jesus, our righteousness, makes it possible for us to stand in perfection before God. All of our sinfulness that we see on this earth, the darkness that we live in, and yet somehow, through the miraculous work of Jesus, He enables us to stand in perfection before the Father, God. The Lord is our righteousness. That was the shepherd's name, wasn't it? The Lord is our righteousness. Only in Him are we able to stand before God. And just as the Father and the Son are able to perfectly relate to one another, so too does Jesus, as our righteousness, cause us to stand in a complete relationship with the Father. And look at what He does as our Good Shepherd. Verse 15, isn't this beautiful? The end of verse 15, He lays down His life. For the sheep. Delivering us from sin and darkness. Making it possible for us to have eternal life. And a right relationship with God. Because he lays his life down for us. 
And if we share in this understanding today, church, we should be thankful because we did not come to this knowledge by our own understanding. Jesus makes it possible for us to know God. And apart from His revelation, there is no way. Look at Matthew chapter 11. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the Son except the Father. Now watch this. No one knows the Father except the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. The next line in verse 16 reminds us that not only is Jesus with us, present with us, intimately acquainted with us, serving as our righteousness so we can stand in a right relationship before God. But His flock, friends, is diverse. His flock is diverse. Look at verse 16. The flock of the Lord's not just for the Jews, not just for the people of Israel, not just for one race, not just for one tribe or particular language. Verse 16, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. Remember we said the fold represented Judaism. And one of the things that Jesus is trying to do here is to coax his people out of Judaism, out of their man-made traditions and man-made laws to follow him. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. Now for the Jews that were hearing this for the first time, perhaps they thought that the good shepherd was going to go throughout the diaspora of Jews that were all over the world and draw back unto himself all of those who were truly Jews. There were many who probably thought that. And certainly, the prophets alluded to this very reality. Did they not? Ezekiel chapter 34. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among the sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep. This is speaking of those from the nation of Israel who had wandered. Those that had been scattered. I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. I will bring them out from the peoples, gather them from the countries, bring them into their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. And friends, guess what? In one measure, this is happening. There is great work being done in the nation of Israel by those who live in the country of Israel, who claim the name of Jesus. There are Jews who are coming to know the Lord because of the work of Messianic Jews that is being done amongst His people. But Jesus is alluding to something more here in John chapter 10. And Romans chapter 11, those of us that know this chapter, we don't have time to study it today, but, but write Romans chapter 11 down on your notes. And go home and read it. Because it's one of the significant chapters that reminds us that the Gentiles, church, this is us, that we have been grafted in and included in the promises of God. We are the sheep who were not of the fold. But because of the grace of God which has been extended to us, we are part of His flock. Thanks be to God for this. This is what I was alluding to earlier, friends. You know, there's, there's college coaches out there 
that are coaching teams that have players from small towns on the East Coast and mega cities on the West Coast. And they're all coming together with different backgrounds, different experiences, different things that are going on in their lives, 60 to 80 of them on one team. What a monumental task for earthly leadership. Now think about how much more monumental for the Lord, bringing us all together for a purpose, for a reason. And Jesus is clear about his intention for his gathering of the sheep. Take a look at the end of verse 16. Why is he bringing other sheep into the fold? There will be what? One flock, one shepherd. One flock, one shepherd. Doesn't Jesus affirm this all throughout his leadership? He's in the garden shortly before he's about to be crucified and he's praying to the Father. And one of the predominant themes of his prayer, one of the major themes of Jesus' prayer before he goes to the cross is the unity of his sheep. Watch this. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us. So that the world may believe that you have sent me, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you and me, that they may become perfectly two, three, one. How many times? In three verses. So that the world, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. A disunified flock is a terrible testimony to a God who is one. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul is urging the church of the same thing. He's begging the church, friends. Ephesians chapter 4, Therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the Unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. One shepherd to unify them all. The work of Jesus is amazing. Countries all over the world. Diversity unimaginable. Some of you have traveled and seen it. You've been in other places. And the only thing that you've had in common with the people that you were serving is the great hope that you share. 
in Jesus. Psalm chapter 133, verse 1. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It's much better to live in unity, isn't it? Amen? And Jesus is the person that unifies all of us, church. He's called us from every corner of the earth. And he's assigned us with a purpose. A new command I give you. Here's the purpose. What is it? Love. Love. Why does he unite us? What do we have in common? What transcends culture, distance, race, economic status, even language? Jesus. Our great need for him. Our great hope in him. Unity, friends. Unity, church. It's an important characteristic of a healthy flock. A defining, perhaps one of the most important characteristics of a healthy flock. Think of it in this manner. Before Jesus went to the cross, that was one of the primary themes of His prayer. It was so important to Him. And it was important to Jesus, so it should be important to us. One flock, one shepherd. We unite around Jesus. And friends, this isn't some kind of weird unity where we pretend like we always agree even when we don't. You know, like, oh, I don't agree with you, but I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to, you know, agreement that survives in fog. I've heard this said before. Agreement that survives in fog is not worth anything. It's okay to disagree. You can disagree, church, and still be unified. That's the reality. We don't always have to agree. We don't even always have to get along. I know in my house, we don't always get along. Maybe some of you live in perfect homes. I'd like to come and visit sometime. Bring my notebook. (laughs) Maybe I'll learn a few things. But since we are children of love, with a nature of love, we should be compelled to love others in the same manner that we have been loved. The mission, the purpose, what Jesus is uniting us around is love. A love of God and a love for one another. Modeling the same love that our Savior showed us who laid down His life for us. Putting aside our own feelings. These are tough things. Our own emotions. Our own ambitions. Some days we don't feel like loving one another. I was grumpy one day this week. I'm going to be honest. Ask my wife for accountability. It's true. I was grumpy. She had to live with the grumpy bear for a day. And I don't even know why. I can't tell you. Isn't that the most terrible thing? When you're grumpy and you don't know why. It's horrible. And I didn't feel like really loving anybody on that day. But you know what I was dealing with? In my mind and on my heart that whole day? Love your wife. Love your children. Stop focusing on yourself. Stop wallowing in your own self-pity and fear. Stand up. Be a man. Lead. It's not always going to be easy. Some days are like that. But love, love is what should be the thing that's out in front, the behavior that's out in front. Praying, walking, going through life together, together as a church, as a family, as a called-out community under the lordship 
of Jesus Christ. The sheep respond to the shepherding of Jesus through being united. It's one of the ways that we respond to Jesus' leadership. The church is to be a visible portrait of one flock, one shepherd. And so it shouldn't surprise us when people get frustrated when they see the church divided. They know this too. The world knows this. The unbelieving world knows that we're to be unified. They know that. And when they see us divided, no wonder it's an affront to them. They know that's not a defining characteristic of what the church should be. One flock, one shepherd. And we should be careful to understand this. If there is a flock that is consistently and continually disunited, ununited, fracturing, could it be that they're following the wrong shepherd? A defining characteristic of our shepherd's leadership is the unity of his flock. He unites us. And now Jesus is going to move to define the charge that he has been given by the Father. It was a charge that he was preparing for in the garden in John chapter 17. It was the charge that was motivating his prayer that evening. Take a look down at verses 17 and 18. This is the charge. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down and the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Remember the account of Abraham and Isaac in the book of Genesis? How about that account? Abraham takes his son Isaac up into the wilderness as commanded by God with the intention of being obedient to the Father by giving his begotten son of Sarah up as a sacrifice to the Lord. Isaac's life, were Abraham to follow through on this, would be taken from him. Isaac's life would be taken from him. He was not laying his life down. It's a picture of a father taking the life of his son, a picture of obedience unto death. And as Abraham lifted his hand to strike his son who lay on the altar, what was in the thicket? A ram. And thus the ram took the place of Isaac. Isaac had no authority over his own life in that account, in those moments. And throughout all of Israelite history, no sacrifice Throughout the entire history of Israel and their sacrificial system, there was no sacrifice that had any authority to lay down their own life and to take it back up again. I don't know about you, but I I can't imagine that there were sheep standing at the gate saying, pick me, pick me, jumping up and down. I'm sure it wasn't a very exciting thing. Probably not a very exciting thing to witness either. And you know what else? Not only... Were there no sheep begging to be sacrificed? I never remember reading an account in the Old Testament, and perhaps you may not ever either, because I don't think there's one there, of an animal who was sacrificed and then somehow crawled back on the altar and came back to life. It didn't happen. 
for a people and for a culture who knew sacrifice and knew the sacrificial system, they never saw and never knew a sacrifice like the Lamb of God. Ever. And here is the great irony, friends, and it's beautiful irony. Though Jesus is a good shepherd, he is also a sacrificial lamb. Both shepherd and lamb who lays down his life. The only sacrifice in all of the history of Israel who had the authority to lay his own life down and then the authority to take it back up again. And he had that authority because it had been given to him by the Father. And as our good shepherd, it's not just that Jesus lays his life down. That's important. We spend a lot of time on Jesus laying his life down. Really, really important. But Easter Sunday, that reality that he not only had the power to lay it down, but also because it was granted to him by the Father, had the power to take it back up again. What a truth to unite us. What a truth to be united around. He takes his life back up again. Paul said what? If Christ be not raised, our faith is in vain. No one can take the life of the giver of life. He displayed his power over nature. He displayed his power over sickness. And guess what? In a few weeks, foreshadowing, he's going to display his power over death. When he does what? When he raises Lazarus from the dead. Acts chapter 4, For truly, in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. They're all included. To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. The life of the Son given as a gift to the world by the Father, the Son submitting to the will of the Father unto death, giving His life as a ransom for many. And in His life, death, and resurrection, Jesus perfectly fulfills the will of God for the salvation of mankind. Friends, it's why we can sit here and rejoice as a body today. Because Jesus accomplished perfectly the mission that God sent him to do. It's a beautiful picture of who he is. Of his faithfulness. Of his truthfulness. He is our good shepherd. He does unite us. He does call us together. He has laid down our lives for us. And how do the people respond? Isn't this typical? And we see this over and over and over again so far in the Gospel of John. We've witnessed this almost every week, almost every time Jesus gets done doing something miraculous or teaching something amazing. What do we see immediately following it? Division. And we see it again here. Look at verses 19 to 21. There was again, again, a division among the Jews because of these words. Jesus speaks and men are divided. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. 
How can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Friends, they should have listened because his sheep hear his voice. His sheep hear his voice. And there was no unity amongst them because they were not sheep of the good shepherd's flock. And we ask this question towards the end of our time together each week. How might our lives look in light of these realities? And I think it's important that we just briefly review the answers to the five questions we've been asking. What kind of leader is Jesus? It's right up there in your notes. Some pretty amazing characteristics of his leadership there. That he's with us, that he knows us, he protects us, he unites us. What does he do? He lays down his life. He takes it back up again for us. How do we respond? We respond by hearing, by following, by knowing, and by being knighted. Remember from the beginning, from the first two sections, who are the thieves? Who was he talking about? The very beginning of John chapter 10, the chief priests, the Pharisees, the other religious leaders. We saw the... uh, We saw him talk about the strangers in verse 5, the messianic pretenders, Satan, wolves. Wolves cause division. What do they do? All of those things right there. And our challenge, our challenge today, friends, two challenges, and we're going to have a time of prayer this morning as we consider these things. First, if you're here today, and you do not know Jesus, the good shepherd. Make no doubt about it. You haven't sat through these last three weeks of messages by accident. Perhaps he is calling you into his flock even today. And I would challenge you, if that's a reality, if you've never began a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, why wait? Why wait if he's convicting you if you've been wrestling with these things if you've been feeling my goodness I've never understood these truths about Jesus for the first time I'm starting to see all these things as real in my life then believe that he's calling you today and in your mind trust him in your heart believe that what he says is true believe it and you will be saved my prayer is as we go to some Uh, prayer time in a little bit that if that's you here this morning that you would submit your life to the lordship of jesus christ today don't wait another day but secondly friends the other challenge is this church let us be imitators of the behaviors of the good shepherd and not imitators of the behaviors of the thieves Let us as a flock be united in our need for Jesus, in our dependence on Jesus every day for everything. Let us be unified in that. Let us be unified in our great hope. As we go to an extended time of prayer, that's going to be the other side of it. The first side is for those that may not know the Good Shepherd, that they would take this time to talk to Jesus, to proclaim their belief, to believe, to repent. And be saved. And on the other side, for those of us that sit here together and are united in Jesus, that we would pray that he would motivate in us the behaviors of the good shepherd. That we would be motivated by the things that motivated Jesus 
the glory of God and the love of God and the love of others. Those would be the things that become the defining characteristics of our lives. Would you bow with me this morning as we pray? Father God, we begin this morning coming before you as a body and praying, knowing that in a room this size with this many people, the reality that there are some here that do not know you, do not have a personal relationship with you. Father, we pray that as you call them to yourself, as you draw them to you, that they would believe that they would recognize you are good. It is one of the defining characteristics of who you are. You are good. That they would submit their life to you, Lord. They would repent of their unbelief, of their former ways of life, laying all that aside, submitting their life to you, to following you, to knowing you, to hearing your voice to being united with other brothers and sisters. Father, we pause now and we pray for those in this room, those outside of this room, those who are part of our families, those who are in the pathways that you've placed in our lives, those people at our jobs, in our communities, in our schools that don't know you. Lord, our heart breaks for them. We have a great hope. Father, our prayer is that they too would know that hope and that you would unite them together with your flock. We pause now to pray with and for those. Father, we acknowledge this morning that indeed you are mighty to save. And just as you are mighty to save and bring salvation to those that do not know you, we also acknowledge that you are able to unite your people under the new command that you have given them to love one another. Father, I need that motivation in my life. I'm sure as many sit here today, they feel the same way. That we need to love better. Lord, there are days when my own selfishness stands in the way. When I'm motivated by the things of this world rather than the things of heaven. When I believe the lies that are so evident in this world, rather than the truth that's so powerful and consistent in your word. Lord, I'm reminded it's so funny. I don't know why I go after it every time. Your word is true, and it's steadfast. And the lies of this world always leave us feeling empty 
and insecure and fearing. So, Father, my prayer today is that as a congregation, as a church, that you would unite us around this great purpose that you have for us to love you more and to love each other better. Lord, we need your help. We can't do it on our own. I'm too selfish, too scared. Sometimes full of anxiety. Father, I suspect that there's many who wrestle with the same things in this room today. And so we pause now to pray, Lord, that you would be out in front. That you would do just as you said in John chapter 10. That you would go before us. The good shepherd goes before his sheep. Lord, go before us in this. Help us to love you and help us to love one another the way that you desire. Unite us in our motivation of love. We pause now, Lord, to to plead with you that you would do this for us. Finally, Lord, this morning, we unite in affirming that you are with us. You are with us. And Lord, help us to remember that truth no matter where you take us this week. Some of us are going to walk into very dark places this week. Lord, some of us are going to walk through a a season of grief. Some of us are going to ascend to the mountaintops and experience a time of joy. Some of us are going to just have a day-to-day, everyday kind of week. But Lord, my prayer is that we would continually be reminded, that you would continually remind us that no matter where you take us, no matter who you bring into our pathways, no matter what circumstances we face, whether we're pulled low or whether we're pulled high, that you are with us. And Lord, might you challenge us to live that reality in our lives by bringing glory to you, by talking about the great truth of who you are with those that you bring into our pathways this week. Father, help us to live in a way that honors you, that elevates you, and causes us to fade away. Increase, Father. Increase in our life this week. 